Welcome to the Association 4.0 podcast, your association's no-fluff playbook to navigating and thriving in Industry 4.0 or the digital marketplace. Each week, we bring expert insights to help you and your association stay ahead of the curve. Hello, my name is Sherry Budziak, and I'm the CEO of .org Source and the host of this week's podcast. I'm here today with Sharon Nebone, F-A-S-A-E-C-A-E, the Executive Director of the National Society for Histotechnology. Sharon has filled many roles within association space with her 20 years of progressive professional association experience. Sharon, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited to talk with you about your leadership and how we're navigating the future. Um, so tell us a little bit about you and your organization. Sure. So as you mentioned, I've been in the association world for a while now. It's actually my third career. Like everybody else, I came at it, you know, as an oblique angle, but uh, over 16 years as a chief staff executive, and I've had program-specific roles in membership, component relations, and governance. So, and I'm a habitual volunteer. I used to say, you know, my name is Sharon and I have a volunteer <laughs> problem. So <laughs> I like giving back. Um, and NSH, I've been here for seven years. We are a niche organization of about 2,800 members since the pandemic. Our members are histotechnologists. And if you know of anybody who's had a biopsy, one of our members may have processed your specimen. They take the specimen, they embed it, they fix it, they put it, cut it into ribbons, put it on a slide, stain it, cover slip it, and then it goes to a pathologist to render an opinion. So they really are, they see themselves and they really are superheroes behind the scenes, saving lives one slide at a time. Um, and one thing that's uh, salient to our conversation is that NSH began its digital transformation back in 2016. And we also became a virtual workforce back in 2017. So we kind of positioned ourselves in front of this with the anticipation that there would be some disruption um, and we needed to do it for financial reasons as well. Yeah, that's terrific because I'm talking to lots of people um, every week uh, about how they're behind and they weren't ahead of it. So, um, so that's great that you were already ready to position your organization to be able to take on the, the challenges that, that we've had over the last couple of years. Um, but talking about that, you know, tell me about your experience leading your organization through this um, disruption of the pandemic. It was surreal. I mean, we, my husband and I came back from Australia on February 18th. So my husband's mm. Australian and I get back in the office and within a week I received a phone call from one of our board members who works at NYU in a research lab. And he said, Sharon, I'm not coming down for the day on the Hill. They're shutting our travel down. Now, meanwhile, we were watching the pandemic in Australia because they were obviously much more aware of it before we got here. So I was already on high alert very early coming into the pandemic. But really for us, it was, again, it was surreal because it felt like cognitive dissonance for us. About six to eight weeks, I guess, no, about eight to 12 weeks into the 
pandemic, I took one of our staff meetings and said to my colleagues, I know you guys don't like talking about the squishy stuff, but we're going to have a conversation about how everybody's feeling and how everybody's coping. And I, I opened with, we are financially sound. Your jobs are secure. You don't need to worry about that. And so we talked about how, what we were feeling and what we were experiencing within our circle of influence, our families. And what came out of it was that everyone was experiencing cognitive dissonance. And the reason for that is the rest of the world was slowing down. And many of our peers in the association world came to a halt with what mm -hmm. they were working on. And we were accelerating between 2019, November, and October 1, 2020, we implemented a new AMS. We implemented a new learning management system. We launched a new brand and we launched a new membership model. And wow. we brought on a new employee in November of 2019. So we were ramping up, ramping up, ramping up. And on top of that, um, we were pivoting, pivoting, pivoting. So we planned our annual meeting three times. We were in October and my attorney called me up and said, Sharon, haven't heard from you. Everybody else is calling. They're panicking about their meetings. I'm like, oh, we're in October. It's still too early. We shouldn't have to worry too much. Well, yeah. you know what thought thought is, my husband would say. <laughs> so we had to plan the meeting multiple times. And the biggest thing that I think of with the pandemic in the last couple of years, not just for my colleagues and myself, but for our entire industry, is that we have been sprinting a marathon for over two years and that we are yeah. exhausted. Yeah. We are absolutely exhausted. So what's been challenging to lead during this time is one, self-care. We had some staff turnover and I worked for over two months without a day off. Um, it's also been challenging to keep leader focused, leadership on task, leadership engaged because they're dealing with their own problems. And keep in mind, our group works in, in healthcare. Mm -hmm. And while the micro side of the lab was ramping up and overworked, the anatomic side of the lab shut down for a while because there were no elective surgeries. So right. it's been really challenging keeping everybody sustained, myself positive. You know, if you, when you're in the chief staff executive seat, everybody feeds off your energy and they feed off of your lead. So how do you care for yourself? and lead for everybody else and then know when to take a step back and let somebody else lead. Yeah. I'm hearing that that's the biggest challenge. Um, and how do you keep staff, you know, happy and engaged and cause everybody's just, as you said, just exhausted and, and there's like, just, it seems like there's, it's a certain point kind of no, um, end in sight. There's always, there's, you know, something else that you're having to, to deal with. So um, well, it's like moving the goalposts, right? It's kind of yeah. like the hallmark of gaslighting is what keep moving the goalposts. Yeah. So there's a little bit of that going on the, in the background where every time you think you've got a goalpost, oops, sorry, it's been moved. Right. Right. Um, so uh, talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on how you, uh, you know, with this experience that, that we've had about the future of the association industry. You know, I thought about this a lot. You know, I know we're all talking about it. What do we need going forward? And in my mind, there has to be less association dogma. And I say that with, you know, air quotes. And by that, I mean that the, the adage of that's the way we've always done it 
mm-hmm. is no longer acceptable. And we really have to think about how we're going to go forward. And we have to be intentional in what we're trying to accomplish. And at the same time, while you're being intentional in what we have to accomplish, you got to have three or four other ideas that are irons in the fire that you're ready to pull out at any given time. So if you're familiar with McKinsey's horizon thinking, so you've got the first horizon, take care of today's business, and that is the immediate business needs. Then you've got the second horizon, which is usually like two to five years. What do we need to be going to market with? And then at the same time, you've got that third horizon, which would be considered highly complex, digital, go to, things that are really going to be transformational We've now come into a horizon where that third horizon is now in horizon one or two, or you can say the, the year, the time frame has changed. So when you think about disruption, and this is probably passe at this point, but think about Uber as a disruptor, right? Mm-hmm. Think about how association people, we relied so heavily on cabs and all of a sudden, just through technology, we've completely very quickly thrown out the paradigm in terms of car travel when you're on the road for business. So I think we're going to continue to really see that type of transformation. And what we really need are transformational leaders. We need visionary leaders. We need transformational leaders who are able to translate what they are seeing. And we need leaders who are quick on the uptake. So whereas the idea of no, no harm come during my tenure, right? Let's status quo, let's not rock the boat. You're actually doing a disservice to your organization, whether you're the chief staff executive or whether you're a volunteer leader, because you're going to end up so far behind, you're never going to see the new opportunities and you're going to get left behind. So I really think that in terms of the future of the association industry, it's going to be transformational, visional, visionary leaders who are able to bridge reality forward to their vision, but they're going to have to be able to move quickly and bring everybody along. Yeah. I actually had an interesting conversation with two, uh, two doctors yesterday that were board members of an organization and they actually realized that they, that's what they need for their organization. They're like, there are opportunities and they're like, we need somebody who can really, they use the term entrepreneurial, uh, but they were getting at this discussion of somebody who is visionary and could help them transform and grow and, uh, and be quick. And so that, that was, it was interesting to me because I've been, I worked prior to starting the consultancy for two major medical associations. And to me, they were always slow. And so I was like, well, the one, the pandemic, you know, made us move very quickly and and the boards had to kind of make decisions quickly along with us, but they're also seeing that there's, those boards are seeing that there's a lot of opportunity now, which I think is great. Mm -hmm. So, but with that, I guess, what do you see are some opportunities for, for the industry or even for your organization? Well, I'll start broader with the industry. And I think one of the opportunities is we finally have a, very strong call to action to start shedding programs and services that are legacy that are no longer serving their purpose. Even governance, you know, at NSH, we have 
worked very hard over the last seven years and we have transformed our governance. We had a delegate assembly that owned policy, that had a judicial committee, that we have an aspirational code of conduct, not a enforceable code of conduct. And then, so that was a risk. And then you have the governance is owned by the house as well. So now that what that what that means though in practicality when the rubber hits the road, that you have a board who's focused on process and who did what and how were the decisions made rather than keeping their eye on the horizon. So we've changed that. But now because of the pandemic and the speed at which the world is moving, I have some leaders that are starting to ask the question, does our current structure for seating the board serve us well because it's representational-based governance? And if that's the case, and if that's not serving us well, is a House of Delegates or a Delegate Assembly something that we need? So the opportunity to be brutal in terms of what we shed, I'm a Navy brat. And my mother, every time we moved, she threw out more stuff every time. And she's like, you have to be ruthless. You have to get rid of this excess baggage because you don't want to ship it from duty station to duty station. And to me, that's a really great analogy to what we need to be doing as organizations. We have a beloved leader who put this program together and we can't touch it because it's the sacred cow, but the sacred cow is eating up a lot of staff time and maybe five members are taking advantage of that particular product. So we have to be we have to be kind and we have to be careful with how we go about it because these are human beings and things are the way they are for a reason and decisions were made at a specific point in time with specific constraints. But to me the biggest opportunity is to shed so that you become nimble and you're able to look at and bring in new products and services that are mission driven move you towards your future vision and will drive the economic engine of the organization. Yeah, we were working on a on a project that wasn't related to something that came up in an organization and they had it was a, a technology related pro- project and problem that they came to us and were like you're spending a quarter million dollars on this product that only 10% of your members use and it's taking X amount of staff time. Why are you doing this? Like, mm-hmm. you know, from the outside, it's easy for us to see that. But from the inside, they never questioned it. They never even, they just kept paying the bills every year. And it was part of the budget and reoccurring without kind of taking that step back and looking as to now, could we use not only the, the money, but those resources in a different way that really moves us you know, forward. So I think you're, that's a very important point and consideration about being able to shed things to, in order to be nimble. But I guess with that said, what are the challenges in doing that or getting there? The first challenge that comes to mind is a conversation I had with our office of the president. It's an informal group of the president-elect, president, immediate past president, and myself. And the president-elect at the time said, you know, I just can't wait for things to get back to normal. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have to let go of that. Normal is not coming back. What you, what was normal to, I mean, think about it. Two years ago feels like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? Oh, for sure. So letting go of the idea of um, getting back to normal. And I think the idea, it, it goes back to that purposeful shedding. Our leaders one of the challenges we need to do is get better at storytelling. 
So we worked with a consultant for our strategy planning. And what she talked about is not using the word change, right? Because change connotates, well, if you're changing something, that means you're trying to fix it or you're trying to negate what we did in the past. So the idea of storytelling, so we have got to become better communicators than we have been, yet at the same time, we're isolated. You know, you and I are having this conversation, you're in Chicago, I'm in Baltimore, we are all gotten very used to being very separate in how we work. So how do we sharpen those communication skills to tell the story of how we started, to tell the story of why it's not working. And then how do we tell the story of the future? And then more importantly, how do we develop the skills to bridge that story to the future so that everybody wants to come with us? Um, the other challenge I think is resource allocation. Mm-hmm. There are more, there's much more competition for resources, not just internally, but if you have a C3 or a subsidiary, think about how difficult it was for the C6s to get the PPP funding. Yeah. You know, the there are misconceptions about what nonprofits are and what we do and how we do things. So getting those resources, um, industry, you know, I work in the healthcare space and I think of industry, they are medical instrumentations being bought out by pharma. So there, there are different measures of success from them. And can we meet their measures of success within our constraints as a mission-driven organization. So we also need to provide, I think this is going to be challenging and we'll see some culling of the herd down down the road, but we need to provide a more compelling reasons for moving forward on what it is we're going to bring to market. And whatever we bring to market needs to solve a problem for our constituency. Um, So what do you think that leaders um, can be doing right now to position their organizations for success? This one was hard because there's so many things, right? You know, there's there's lots of things, there's lots of competencies. And what I came down to is I think that we need to develop foresight skills into an enterprise-wide competency. So we talk about, you know, when I was on when I was chair of the research committee at ASAE, we did a strategy planning. What do we want to do? What do we think the industry is going to going to need. And out of that came the foresight works that ASAE has. And at that time, you were thinking of this, this big lofty ideas, looking ahead and big thinking. And it's typically the board and the chief staff executive and or the C-suite. I really think that we need to be looking at foresight from everybody within the organization because we're all gonna see things differently. And if we go back to the the horizons thinking and listening for weak signals, this is something we talked about 10 years ago when I was with IFT, but I think it becomes much more um, important today because those signals where they might've been blips, you know, a steady beat, I think it's really the, it's becoming really quick and very fast paced. And if you don't have an enterprise wide competency and foresight, you're going to miss opportunities and someone's going to go to market before you, or someone's going to solve that problem before you. And if we're mission driven, I know I keep saying go to market, but if we're mission driven, then how are we going to provide the right information at the right time for the right people if we don't develop and hone our foresight skills? Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. Do you foresee uh, association business models changing? 
I, I, not really. Yeah. <laughs> um, I really don't. I mean, the reason I say this, Sherry, is I think back to my early days in association management and the internet. The internet's going to kill associations. Yeah. Okay. So it didn't kill associations. Next thing you know, private, you know, social media is going to kill associations. That didn't happen. I think our core model is going to change. What I think is going to change is how we deliver it and how we communicate it. Um, we're always going to be mission driven. If we're not, we lose our tax status. We are for the betterment of the society. So how we deliver our value, I think, will change in how we communicate it. But we're still going to have some type of a membership. And if you're not doing membership, you're talking about subscriptions, which is a variation on a theme, or you're talking about events and education. And when I'm listening to people, I haven't seen anything strong or new coming out in terms of hybrid, virtual, you know, or in person. It's all how do we make, you know, what's the objective and how do we get there? So I, I'm going on record saying, I don't think it's going to dramatically change. Yeah. I, I mean, I would agree. I, I, you brought up things that, I, that in my career, I started, my story was that I was working at the AANS, the neurosurgeons, and I was given an opportunity to help them develop their website. Nobody even knew what a website was. Like, <laughs> so we had, we went from the website to then, as you said, it was like social media and then it was the dot coms and, you know, how is this all going to affect us in, in social media? And even with what, what happened with the virtual meetings, it's just another, I don't know, platform or another delivery model. And it makes, I think, our lives more complicated because you have to do all the things. So now we've got more things to do, but it's not changing the core of what we do, right? Like, like you said, we're still delivering education. We might be delivering it, you know, in a live, you know, in person compared to virtual compared to hybrid. We might change it up every year. Who knows what that looks like, but we're still delivering education. It's just, I, in my mind, it's, it's kind of, you know, people used to ask me, well, Sherry, what do we stop doing? And I'm like, nothing like, you know, you still, sometimes we still have to have things in print. Like it's just how it is. So I would agree, agree with that, but on a, on a different kind of note, how do you feel technology is going to continue to change how associations operate? The way I see it is that it's going to enable employee an employee centric work culture tied to the vision, mission and annual objective. So, I mean, we're already seeing a little bit of this shift in power, if you will, for employer versus employee. And I had a conversation with a group the other week about, you know, business models and how how do you bring your staff together? And there's some people that are in the camp, well, it needs to be in person. Some people are in the camp of hybrid. Some people are in the camp of completely virtual. And my answer was, it depends on the organization. You know, we have this horrible habit in our space of wanting the silver bullet, the capital (laughs) T-H-E silver bullet. And the reality is it's the answer is as usual, it depends. But I do think that technology will enable us to be employee centric while still being true to whatever culture, because as you know, in this industry, the culture of staff is going to be somewhat of a reflection of the culture of the industry we serve because the people who gravitate there. 
The second piece is, is that I believe artificial intelligence, machine learning, all of that fun, you know, big, big woo-woo stuff, if you will, that we, I always think Skynet whenever we start talking about (laughs) artificial intelligence, and I know I'm dating myself, but it will allow us to deploy our staff and cohorts of volunteers to higher level thinking and really go, really develop mission-driven products and services. And when you look at the demographics, so these big big external drivers, workforce is at a crisis point. We had this conversation 10 years ago. We started this conversation with the research committee and what should the role of the associations be? And in my mind, and for some time, the sweet spot for associations is workforce development. So you have jobs that are disappearing and they're not coming back. And you have displaced workers who are angry. And then you have new jobs that are opening up, but we can't find workers to fill them because they lack the skills. It seems to me that we as associations need to do a much better job in putting a flag in the ground on workforce development. And then when I think of a conversation I had with Barbara Bird Keenan, who's doing some work, current work with the research committee about transformational leadership, there's one thing that she said that really stood out to me. If we really want to be transformative and we really want to do well, the IT is going to take us there. But we have to stop caring about who gets the credit and we need to pull our resources. And the new IT is not scalable when you think about it. Like right now at NSH, I'm not investing in machine learning for um, newsletters. I don't have the this resources for it. I don't have the staff to set it up. I don't have the staff to deliver it. My resources are maxed out. So by not caring as much about who gets the credit, then there's economies of scale. And how do we do that with technology to really drive the workforce to where it needs to be in the future? Because I feel like we are at the beginning of the industrial revolution. We have just scratched the surface on what technology is gonna mean for us going forward. So we need to listen and read and learn and figure out where we're gonna go as a group. That's, that's some great thoughts. That's great. So I, before we kind of wrap up today, do you have any kind of final thoughts or advice you want to tell um, our listeners? I think going forward in the turbulent 20s, as I've heard they call it, or it's a transformative age, I do believe that when we look back at this period, we're all going to think, how did we get through it? But I think, so again, I'm going to date myself, but I think of a 38 special song, (laughs) hold on loosely, but don't Mm -hmm. let go. So in other words, we have to not be so driven by our need to control our environment. We are living in an age of disruption. This is a pandemic at this current period of time. We just had a war or the beginnings of a potential war start in Europe. My point being is that we are living in an age of disruption. So we are going to have to flex our muscles and how to be transformative. We're going to have to flex our muscles and how to be flexible, you know, and not so, you know, holding on tight, you know, for dear life, but hold on loosely. You're not going to be in control, but what you can control is how you respond to external drivers and external stimuli. And how do you navigate forward as a leader in confidence so that your, your colleagues and the people that you serve in terms of volunteer leaders are also calm and have confidence in you to help them find the way forward. Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much, Sharon. This was a, a great conversation. I enjoyed it. And 
I've learned a lot um, myself today too. And I really appreciate all of your time and your dedication to the association community. Thank you. And thank you for thinking of me. This was fun. We hope you enjoyed this episode and discovered tips and information that will add value to your leadership style and your association. Dot.org Source specializes in positioning teams for success with solutions for technology, strategy, and marketing. Please contact us at info at orgsource.com or visit www.orgsource.com to find out how to keep your organization on track to Association 4.0.